Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And good evening, and welcome into the Tavern. I am Wags, joined alongside by Scott Tobin. And yes, I'm seeming a little chipper, but uh, I definitely am not. Definitely tired. Just woke up about, oh, a half an hour ago and uh, had Scott worried beyond belief. But I made it, and Scott, I think you feel a little bit better <laughs> about not having to talk by yourself because I know I'm terrified of it. Yeah, no, I was like, I was like, how am I going to preview the NFL by myself? That's going to be kind of weird. But uh, yeah, man, I'm glad you're uh, glad you're with us, and you are awfully chipper after a nap because a lot of times, unfortunately, I feel worse after I take a nap. I am the exact same way, but I, I went into the into the bathroom, looked in the mirror, slapped myself about three or four different times and said, hey, you got to look good. I mean, there's only so much you can do for me, but at least I can be chipper. There you go. That's a gamer right there. Taking one for the team. Got to get in there. Got to do it. Got to go. Yeah, you have to. I mean, if you ask the guys on the on, on my hockey team, uh, that, that's my MO. I mean, I go to the front of the net. I let the pucks hit me, and uh, you just got to take it for the team. You know, if, if it goes in, it goes in. If it's a sloppy goal, it's a sloppy goal. That's just how I, how I roll. So, uh, and you know what? Speaking of, you know, just doing stuff for the team, we got to start. I know it's not breaking news. I know it's not the the Cy Young Award, but we got to talk about Adam Wainwright and and what he did in the month of August because he was named the National League Pitcher of the Month for the month of August. And I know it doesn't really necessarily come as a surprise to us in St. Louis, at least this year. I mean, a couple of years ago, we were thinking he was done. We talked about this uh, the other night, but he, he just, he's magical. He, he's turned back the clock at, at the age of now 40. Um, what else can you say about Wainwright this year? There, I mean, there's nothing else you can really say. I mean, the guy's been the, he's been basically the ace of the team now for the last two years. And, you know, it's impressive to win pitcher of the month, but the fact that he won it to, he won it for August and it's the first time since 2014, he's won that award. It says a lot about him. It just talks about the endurance that he has and how tough he is and what just a warrior the guy is. It really does. And he always basically deflects the the praise and, you know, he'll, he'll, say how great it is to, you know, have Molina behind the plate and the teammates that he has. But when it, when it comes down to this year, he has been the stopper. He has been the guy that has ended runs and started runs, ended the losing streaks, started the winning streaks. He is the consummate professional, and he's the guy that everybody should be looking to this year as what it means to actually be a professional athlete and somebody that represents a city and a organization very, very well. And, you have to give credit, and I, I know this is a long way back, but you got to give credit to the, to the Braves organization, in a sense, for being the, the organization that brought Adam Wainwright up through their minor league system, allowed him to be a part of the Greg Maddox, the Tom Glavin, the John Smoltz, the Steve Averys, and, and seeing how those guys got through, especially as they got into their older years. And you're seeing that in Adam this year. You're seeing the Maddox and the Glavin style from him over the last couple of years. And to do that after suffering a couple of big time injuries late in his career for him to come back and still want to pitch and pitch the way he has, is just a credit to him as well. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. You've got to give the Braves credit because they did do a great job and he was able to watch those guys and learn from them as he was coming up in the minors. And then he came to St. Louis and you got to give the Cardinals credit as well as he finished his, his maturing in the Cardinal organization. And then, 
picked up stuff from guys like Woody Williams and Matt Morris, those veterans. And of course, Chris Carpenter, you know, he gives as much credit to Chris Carpenter as he does pretty much anybody. And, you know, Dave Duncan, of course, also, you know, I mean, think about that. We talk about those Smoltz and Glavin and Carpenter, but he also had two of the greatest pitching coaches in the history of baseball around him, at least in spring training in his early career. When you talk about Leo Mazzoni in Atlanta and then coming here and having Dave Duncan as well. So, you know, he's had a lot of guys that have helped mold him and, but, you know, it all goes, again, back to the kind of person that Adam is and the leader and the competitor that he is. Oh, 100%. He is just amazing. And, you know, if you haven't had a chance uh, to, to look at his charity work as well, Big League Impact has been a big thing that he's been able to do the last uh, handful of years. And it's not just about him. He's doing this to help other players. I, I saw um, an article on him the other day because they did a little bit of an expose on him. And it's not just about what he's doing or, or even how, what he's doing with the Cardinals. You know, he's doing this for other big league players saying, hey, what do you want to do? Let's go do it. And like you said, it, it just speaks to him and his mindset and his character that he's not only, you know, helping people himself but he's helping other people help people regardless of affiliation. And that's the amazing thing about Adam Wainwright. And we just can't say enough about him. We, we love him. We hate to see him go because it seems like, well, you know what? I'm not going to say it seems like, because if he pitches next year like this, I can't sit there and say how I can even imagine him retiring after next year, even if it is Molina's last year. And even if a guy like Albert comes back and they, they could have a chance to ride off in the sunset, if you're competing, it's hard to walk away. It is. It is. I think next year probably will be it, though, because he's talked about wanting to be with his family, you know, that his family his family functions better when he's around and his wife's done so much without him all these years. And so I think I think he is at the at the point where he's he's kind of saying, OK, I'm done. But I think we will get that one more year out of him next year. And just a quick story about Adam Wainwright. And I've probably told this story before, but in 2005, I went to the winter warm up and I was there for the whole weekend and I had one of the old seat backs from Bush Stadium. And so I'd gotten it signed by Chris Carpenter and Tony and Scott Rowland and all these people. And it was the end of it was the it was the Monday. It was the last day of the thing. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. And everybody that had been with me all weekend was so tired. And they're like, all right, we're done. Let's go home. And I said, hang on a minute. There's one more kid over there that I want to get his autograph. See that big, tall, lanky kid right there? He's going to be good one of these days. So the last autograph I got is I forced everybody to stay in line for another 20 minutes was Adam Wainwright. And I'm pretty glad that I've I've got that one on there because that's another that's going to be like nine Hall Cardinal Hall of Famers that I have that have signed that seat back. Wow. Wow. And, and to be able to pick that out before he, he really hit it, that, that that's saying something. I mean, he was highly touted. I mean, the hype around him was real. I mean, obviously, he was a big part of that J.D. Drew trade. Right. And you knew that he had the potential. And then, and then now you look at a, a guy that has that potential as well and – Maybe you're hoping that he gets a chance to experience Adam Wainwright. You know, he's done it at spring training, and maybe next year he gets to take a chance to, to experience that in the rotation. That's a Matthew Libertor, you know, left-handed pitcher, different, you know, different style. But maybe you get a guy like him around an Adam Wainwright, and maybe he's the guy that's able to take that mantle on. I don't know him personally or character-wise because we haven't really heard him speak a whole lot or, or be interacting with, with the media, but I just got a feeling that with the hype around him and having a guy like Wainwright and, and some of these other guys around him, you might be seeing something special in Matthew Libertor as well. Right, and from everything I've heard, you know, he's kind of a sponge. He's really mature for his age, and, you know, he likes to be around those guys. I've heard Wainwright talk about him. 
And one of the pitches that he throws really well is a curveball. So if he can pick up even more from Adam, that doesn't hurt anything for sure. You imagine a lefty with an Adam Wainwright curveball? Holy moly. Be kind of bring back memories of the old Ricky and Keel days and the curveball that he used to have. Yes, very, very true. Oh, and guess what? Rick Ankiel's around the Cardinals organization a lot. Hmm. I know he right. probably doesn't like to talk too much about pitching, but having that, that's that's impressive right there. Well, the Cardinals are we're off today. They are uh facing Milwaukee beginning tomorrow. A huge, huge series because the Cardinals still sit roughly two and a half games back of that wild card, uh, the second wild card spot. And we talked about it a little bit last night about how the Cardinals have, have played Milwaukee well. They, they The record doesn't showcase how close these games have been. Uh, what are your expectations of this series coming up uh, over the weekend? Is is this the, the, the point where if the Cardinals are going to make that move, it's it's got to be this series? They, they had a chance against the Reds. They still took two or three. But it's this series where they're going to have to make that move. Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd like to see them take two out of three. Milwaukee's played pretty well, but Milwaukee's actually been better on the road than they have at home this year. And the Cardinals have always played pretty well up there. So, you know, I feel pretty good about it. You've got Wayno going in that series. You know, of course, it'd be nice if you had Jack Flaherty. You don't. You have KK and then Lester. But you have to feel pretty good about John Lester these days, the way he's pitched the last few times out. So I think they've got a shot to win in Milwaukee. Um if they can win two out of three of that series and then you take your chances with the Dodgers at home next week and then you have Cincinnati again. So this is going to be a big 10-game series. That certainly is. So we'll definitely be watching out for that and, and hopefully we'll be talking good, good things over uh, over this Labor Day weekend uh, as far as the Milwaukee series is concerned and then getting into that Dodger series with Albert coming back into town. It's kind of funny that the, uh, the, 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 well, the first two times he comes back into town, it's two different teams, but they're both L.A., so yeah, take that for what you will. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's still going to be weird to see Do- to see Albert in that Dodger blue. That just doesn't look right, and to see it in Bush Stadium is really going to be weird. Oh, yeah, no, let's let's keep that, because uh, at least with the Angels, he was wearing red, and right. it still looked good, but I, I don't know. I, I, I hope, you know, he got his home run when he was here with the Angels. I don't want to see Albert hit another home run against the Cardinals right now. No, I don't want to see him hit another home run at Bush until he's wearing red again next year. Agreed, 100%. All right, let's jump over to the NFL because we started our NFL preview, divisional previews last night with the AFC East and the AFC South. And I, I know you're you're itching to talk about this one because you're, you're wearing the hats. You, you want to go to this game so bad against the Chiefs. We got to start talking about the AFC North, and we'll start right off with the Cleveland Browns. This is a team that... Uh, proved a lot last year in my mind and and still has a couple of steps to go to get there. But you're going to get a, an Odell Beckham back healthy. You're going to have uh, Nick Chubb back healthy at some point. Uh, you've got Baker Mayfield, who looks like he solidified himself as, a, as a, re- a legitimate quarterback and potential MVP candidate as well. The defense is starting to round into shape. It's a tough division. Pittsburgh looks like they're going to be improved this year. Baltimore took the hit. With J.K. Dobbins going out, but you know they brought in Le'Veon Bell and, and they've got Gus Edwards as well. And, and you can't, you still can't overlook Cincinnati. I mean, we talked about this, you know, before the show a couple days ago that you know Cincinnati probably isn't going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be highly competitive. Uh, so this is a tough division. Where do you see the Browns sitting at uh, in this division, and, and how do you think it's going to play out for them? Uh, I have the Browns winning this division, and I, I was looking at it tonight as I was getting ready to look to to do this and talk about it. And when you go down and when you look at the Browns roster and the talent, 
they may have the deepest, most talented roster in the NFL. I mean, we talk about the Chiefs and we talk about Buffalo's offenses, but when you look at the Browns, I mean, you have to just start at the running back position. I mean, we'll talk about Baker at quarterback too, who's still got some things to prove in a lot of people's minds, but played very well last year. But then you get into that running back situation and you have two guys that are both elite running backs that could probably both be top 10 running backs in the league when you've got a guy like Nick Chubb and then you have Kareem Hunt as well. Both great running backs. They both they offset each other really well too because Hunt more of a pass receiver out of the backfield as well compared to Chubb who's more of a power back but can still break runs. But, you know, that's just a great running back tandem. And then you talk about the two wide receivers – and Jarvis Landry and OBJ, you know, and from everything we hear, OBJ looks really, really good. But then, you know, they've also got they've also got Peoples Jones, who really stepped up as a third wide receiver. So you've got three weapons there. Then you go to tight end, and not only do they have a guy like Austin Hooper there, but then you've also got David Njoku too. So you've got depth and really good talent at all of the skill positions. And then we talk about their defense, you know, and is there a better pass rushing combo? in the NFL right now than Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, or at least that has the potential to be as dangerous as those two guys are. I mean, you know, they're going to be scary. And then you've got Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams in the back at your cornerback and safety positions. You know, you've got a young defensive end in Jordan Elliott from Mizzou who's kind of filling in, who's going to play quite a bit. And, you know, and then you've got JOK, the linebacker from Notre Dame who got drafted, you know, kind of slipped and might end up being the steal of the draft. You know, and Jeremiah was Koobawa, and he's going to be just a monster linebacker there. So their defense really improved. Their offense is going to be good, and they're a scary, scary team. They're going to cause a lot of mismatches for a lot of people this season. Uh, they, they certainly are. I mean, we, I, I think they probably gave Kansas City the biggest scare in the playoffs last year. I mean, Buffalo played well. I mean, every team that Kansas City had to play last year was it was a tough out. But I think Cleveland was the team that we looked at that. We thought they probably could do a lot of damage and maybe hold Kansas City back enough to allow them to win that game. And they played very, very well. And it's going to be a very, very fun matchup because week one is the Browns and the Chiefs. Um, How do you think that game's going to play out? Because, you know, Patrick Mahomes looks good. We're going to talk about the West and the Chiefs here in a second. uh, So you don't have to dive too much into the Chiefs side of things. But how do we feel like the Browns are going to match up against the Chiefs? And is this the, the the tone setter for the playoffs? Is this going to determine home field advantage in the playoffs in week one? I mean, you know, it's going to go a long way, I think. I don't know that it'll totally determine it because, again, you've got 16 weeks after that. But it's going to be really interesting, you know. And what gave Patrick Mahomes fits in the Super Bowl last year was a defense that could cause pressure, get upfield, get in his face, hit him, make him hurry. And like we talked about, when you've got Garrett and Clowney and, you know, those guys that they have in Cleveland, that could really cause problems. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that defense matches up because they are much improved over last year. So yeah, I think yeah. it's gonna, I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it probably is. It's going to probably be an instant classic in my mind. And you look at the, the, the schedule for the Browns, and it's kind of up and down a little bit as far as, like, good teams versus bad teams. Yeah, after that first game against the Chiefs, then they host the the Texans. They host the Bears. Not sure who's going to be at quarterback there, if it's still going to be Andy Dalton or if Justin Fields is going to come in. Either way, I bet you that defense is salivating at whoever's going to be in the backfield at that point. Uh, then you travel to Minnesota, a tough team, 
potentially this year. And then you've got a game against the LA Chargers, who I think, as we talk about the AFC West here in a little bit, are a team that people may be overlooking this year and could be very, very good. You got the Cardinals, the Broncos, then you got a couple of uh, matchups in the division Steelers, Browns. You're going to be playing the Patriots this year. You've got the Lions. Then you got back to back games against the Ravens. That is going to be really interesting. You got uh, Sunday, November 28th, and then the, the 12th of December. You got uh, games against the Ravens back-to-back. Then you've got the Raiders. You're going to be playing the Packers in Green Bay. And then you wrap up with the Steelers and the Bengals. So it's a really – it's a tough schedule, but there are a lot of winnable games in there for the Browns and a lot of games that will test them and I think really prepare them for their playoff run come the end of the season. Yeah, I think so too. I think think it's a favorable schedule, but like you said, there are some real tests in there. So I think, you know, when you get to playoff time, they'll be battle-tested and ready to go. I agree 100%. Okay, the other team that uh, went undefeated in the preseason was the Baltimore Ravens, despite the injury to J.K. Dobbins. Uh, you, you were expecting Dobbins to be the guy that takes the pressure off of Lamar Jackson. Now that's gone. And, and like we said, they, they brought in Le'Veon Bell uh, to maybe give some sort of relief to him. You've got Gus Edwards, who probably will step up and be the number one back there as well. But for me, it always it, it still comes back down to the fact that Baltimore doesn't necessarily have the greatest set of wide receivers. And you talk about guys not having weapons around them. You know, Lamar Jackson is a weapon in of himself. He, he is going to be able to produce, and he does make players around him better. But they still haven't really addressed that wide receiver position. I mean, Sammy Watkins is going to come in and, and probably give him a nice big body to play with. Uh, you got Marquise Brown as well, Hollywood Brown. But outside of that, I'm, I'm still not entirely sold on that Baltimore offense. No, I have a ton of questions about this Baltimore team. And it starts with Lamar Jackson because we saw him kind of take a step back last year. You know, you thought his accuracy would get better. You thought he would throw a little bit better, but he didn't. You know, it didn't really improve. And his running game kind of went down a little bit, which is going to happen with the amount of hits he's taken and just the wear and tear that his body takes. And he's not a big guy, you know, I mean, he's a skinny, small frame guy that, you know, any hit could be, you know, season ending career ending with a guy like Lamar Jackson. But yeah, I have questions there. The running back, the fact that they lost Dobbins, you know, that's huge. I mean, I know they still have Gus Edwards and a couple other guys, but you were counting on Dobbins to kind of be your workhorse. And then, like you said, your two wide receivers, Sammy Watkins has had a good career, but the injuries have to be the huge concern there. He's had a hard time staying on the field. And then Hollywood Brown, same kind of thing. He's explosive, but he's a little guy. Small frame, not real big. A couple of big pops and he could get hurt. He's had injury issues in the past. So that kind of worries you. They've got a good tight end in Mark Edwards. Or Mark Andrews, I'm sorry. Um, But, yeah, the the losses of Dobbins and then Bateman, the young wide receiver, for at least the first half of the season really hurts them. And then, you know, you look at their defense, and, you know, their defense is getting old. You got guys like Calais Campbell, who's been good for a long time, but you know his body's taking an awful lot of wear and tear. Derek Wolf the same way. You know they need some of these younger guys. They need Patrick Queen, who they drafted at middle linebacker a couple of years ago, to really step up. Marcus Peters needs to play better. You know he was highly touted. You know had some good years in Kansas City and other places, but he kind of leveled off the last couple of years, and you know he's had some off the field issues. So they need him to stay out on the field and be good. And Parnell McPhee really has to step up and have a big year, too. He had a little bit of a down year last year. So there's just a lot of questions on offense and defense with that team. 
It, it really is. And like I said, it was a little bit of a surprise that they did go undefeated in the preseason. You know, they took out the, the Saints 17-14. They beat the Panthers and, and Washington. So it's not like the, the competition was stiff and you can't necessarily look at preseason numbers and be like, oh, well, 3-0, and they're going to go undefeated. I mean, how many times How many times did those, uh, those winless teams go undefeated in the preseason and then they couldn't win a game when it actually counted? So you, you can't necessarily look at the preseason records and go, oh, there you go. And like you said, it's just so many question marks in Baltimore. And Lamar has done a lot to overlook those questions. He's he's covered up a lot of those question marks. But like you said, his numbers started to, to decrease a little bit last year. He did get hit a little bit more than you were hoping he would. And I, I don't know, without that, uh, that, that guy you can really – count on at the running back position it could be a very very long season and really you talk about big time games second week of the season they host the Chiefs so they're going to be tested early and it it could be a it could be a pretty bad start for Baltimore I mean they've got the Raiders week one then the Chiefs but then you got the Lions that's potentially a, a, a very winnable game the Broncos and then the Colts which at that point may have Carson Wentz back and then they have the Chargers so you know, if they go, you know, four and two, I think they'll be happy. Uh, I see more of a three and three type of situation to start the season. Uh, and at that point, three losses, that, that may end up keeping you at third, even if you go 14 and three. Right. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And, you know, like we said, this division is just going to be so tough because they're going to beat up on each other. You know, it, it's going to be really interesting. I think Baltimore, and I know I said this a lot the other night when we did this, but I think Baltimore is another one of those teams it's probably going to win 10 or 11 games and be right in the hunt for one of those lower last two or three wildcard spots. I can see that 100%. No question. All right, let's talk about the Steelers because they were another one of those teams that was, that was pretty good. They started off the season last year, what, 13 and 0. And then they kind of tanked after that. They, they bottomed out. Uh, But Ben Roethlisberger looks like he is, not necessarily back in shape, but looking a lot better than he has the last couple of years. You've got uh, a lot of talent when it comes to uh, the offense. You know, they drafted Najee Harris out of Alabama, so their running game definitely improved. You still got Juju Smith-Schuster. Chase Claypool broke out last year as well. James Washington, they've got a trio of wide receivers that are really good. You still got Eric Ebron there at the tight end position as well. And the defense, you know, you talk about Baltimore's defense getting old. You know, the Steelers' defense isn't a bunch of spring chickens either, but they're a little bit more balanced when it comes to the age factor as well. How do you see uh, the Steelers looking this year? Yeah, there's some serious questions there too. I mean, it starts with their offensive line, which hasn't been good for the last couple of years. You know, you've really got to you've really got to get good protection because, you know, it used to be that it didn't really matter because, you know, Ben was pretty much like an offensive lineman that could throw the ball. But as he's gotten older and with the back issues that he's had, you want to keep him from getting too many hits. You want to keep him as upright as possible. So the offensive line is going to be huge. And then, you know, Najee Harris seems like the perfect running back for the Steelers. Big guy who's going to pound and ground and kind of, in a lot of ways, reminds me a little bit of Jerome Bettis when he went to Pittsburgh. That same body type, not quite as big as Bettis, but you know what I mean. He's just more of that physical type back. So, you know, but rookie running backs, you're never 100% sure what they're going to do in that first year. And then I still have questions about the Steelers' wide receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, you know, yeah, he was really good his rookie year, but they also had Antonio Brown. 
and I don't think Schuster's ever really lived up to those first couple of years since then, since he's really had to be that number one. You know, Chase Claypool had a great year last year, especially early in the season when nobody really knew a whole lot about him. You know, defenses are going to are going to game plan around him a little bit more. So let's see how that holds up. Eric Ebron's still there, like you said, but he's not a spring chicken by any means. He's been around for a long, long time. So you have to hope that he holds up. I do like their defense. I mean, TJ Watt had some injuries last year that really hurt them toward down the stretch. When they fell off, you know, it was about the time that he got hurt and missed the end of the season. So you got TJ Watt and Cam Hayward, you know, on that defensive line, you know, two guys that can really cause problems. And then you got the young guy in Devin Bush, the linebacker that you drafted two years ago. He's going to be good. And then you need your secondary to really step up. Joe Hayden needs to have a good year this year. And then Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, is a guy who they traded for with the Dolphins a couple of years ago to play safety. And he's a talented guy. So they do have a lot of talent in that defense. They just need to stay healthy. And if Ben's back is healthy, again, I think they're going to be another one of those teams. Like I said, there's so many teams in the AFC. And there's going to be a team or two that wins 11 or 12 games in the AFC that may not make the playoffs. Yeah, because, we uh, to... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. You're good. You know, I mean, you look at this division, and you, you can literally make a case for all four of these teams getting in. You know, I mean, it'll be a stretch a little bit for the Bengals, but I, I can see a path where they could get in. Yeah, I think so, too. And you know, back to, to the Steelers real quick, you talk about that offensive line. You know, they've had some good running backs the last couple of years, and they have not been able to get anything going. And, yeah, I mean – they haven't been able to catch the ball out of the backfield when it comes to their running backs. I think Harris might be able to do that and free some stuff up for them there, but they have not been able to open holes up in the middle at all. And it was something that watching them last year, as they were going off for that, that 13 game winning streak, I kept questioning if they were going to be able to continue that because they just could not get a running game going at all. I mean, I don't even know if they averaged a hundred yards a game last year when it comes to the running game. No, I don't think they did. As a matter of fact, I think Ben was their leading rusher in two or three games last year, as beat up as he was. Um, so, yeah, Najee Harris should really help that. But, uh, again, it's all going to come down to the offensive line and how healthy they are. But, you know, a lot of people have written the Steelers off. I wouldn't do that. It seems like anytime everybody says, oh, the Steelers, Steelers aren't going to be any good. You know, we saw what people said that last year. And then they got off to the start they did. And, you know, if not for a couple of key injuries to Watt and a couple of those guys, they – may have really made a run in the playoffs last year as well. And, you know, and that crazy first half in the wild card game against Cleveland when it was, what, 35 to nothing in the first seven minutes or something? I mean, anything anything and everything that could have gone wrong for the Steelers in that first quarter went wrong, and Cleveland capitalized it, capitalized on it, and then the Steelers were still in it in the fourth quarter. Cleveland fans were sweating bullets the last 15 minutes of that game. That they were. I, I do remember how crazy that was because – I, I, at halftime, you were just like, okay, all right, here we go. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, wait, wait, what? No, uh-uh, no. Okay, relax, breathe. I got through it. Uh, speaking of that of that offensive line pressure, uh, is that can you attribute the, the wide receiver's lack of success in, in a lot of instances because they don't have the time to work their routes to get open? I mean, yes, a great wide receiver will be able to – be able to be open in any way, shape, or form, especially if you know the offensive line isn't good, that they find ways to get themselves open. But is that something that you could look at the development of a Juju, the development of a James Washington and a Chase Claypool, Claypool as well, that you know, because they don't have a whole lot of time to get through their routes and Ben doesn't have a chance to 
really get through his progressions. Is that is that a little bit of why maybe their development hasn't been as smooth as it probably could have been? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, if you call you know if you call a play with a you know the quarterback's got a five seven step drop, and your offensive line can't hold up, and he's got to end up turning into like a four and a half step, and then it throws your then it throws the whole play out of sync because the receiver's not making their cut at the right time. You know, they're not running the route exactly the right way. So, yeah, it, it creates all kinds of problems on plays. So, you know, the offensive line can create problems in every aspect of your offensive system, and it can just throw everything out of whack. Uh, we'll see if uh, if they're able to improve there and, and get the Steelers back into the playoffs as well and, and see if they can make some noise. And you, you men- mentioned the fact that you saw a path for the Cincinnati Bengals to potentially make the playoffs. And I know people are like, ah, funny, funny, funny. That's, that's great. I mean, but there is, there is a path for the Bengals. You know, you've got Joe Burrow coming back from, from the ACL injury. That's going to be a big time question mark. We talk about offensive lines, you know, being able to protect their quarterbacks. Uh, In this instance, you better find a way to protect Joe Burrow. You've still got Joe Mixon over there as well. Uh, and, And you've got, Guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins at, at the wide receiver position for Cincinnati, they've got some talent there as well. And they put a, a couple scares in teams last year when Burrow was the starter before he went down for injury. Uh, this could be another team, and, and we talked about it again just the other night. They, they may only win five games, but they're going to be in almost every single game they play in this year, and they're going to make teams work for it for sure. Yeah, I mean, they've got it at the skill position. Like you said, if Joe Burrow is healthy, you know, and you can keep him upright, and then you've got a really good running back in Mixon, and then it's going to be hard to find three better young wide receivers than Jamar Chase, Ty Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I mean, you've got a ton of talent from all three of your wide receivers. The big question is going to be their offensive line. And I know I'm one of those people that was like, seriously, the Bengals just drafted Jamar Chase and didn't get – Pene Sewell from Oregon didn't get that big tackle that they need. Um, but they did address the offensive line later in the draft. You know, they went pretty offensive line heavy, third, fourth, fifth rounds of the draft. So they did increase that. But uh, yeah, if they can keep Burrow upright and keep him from getting hit a lot and give him time to throw, they're going to score points. The question is going to be on their defense. You know, their best players on their defense are in the secondary with Trey Waynes and Von Bell. And Larry Obanawi, those are their three best players on defense. They are going to be the guys that, uh, you know, the back end of that defense, which you need in that division because, like you said, Pittsburgh's going to throw the ball over the place. Cleveland's going to throw the ball over the place. But they need to find some real depth and some real talent on their D-line and their linebackers because that's where they're a little bit weak defensively still. Yeah, that, that's certainly. I mean, they, they did pick up Joseph Asai uh, out of Texas in the draft, so they did – address the defensive end position a little bit there. But yeah, it's going to come down to that that middle linebacker or that linebacker core that they're going to have to be able to just to basically shut down those soft areas uh, because a guy like Roethlisberger, a guy like Baker, they're going to be able to pick off those soft areas and you're going to have a long, long time in games if, if that's going to be the case. Now, looking over uh, the schedule for the Bengals. I mean, they start off with a, with a decently tough game against Minnesota. Uh, they play the Bears. And they got the Jags. They, they host the Packers. Uh, they travel to Detroit. Obviously, they've got their uh, 
their games against the Steelers and the Ravens. They also play the Jets. That's a game that could be pretty intense on, on Halloween on October 31st. That could be a fun game to watch as well. They play the Raiders. That'll be a good, a good game. They've got the Chargers, the 49ers, uh, the Broncos as well. And then uh, the, the Chiefs and Browns to wrap up their season. And if, if they're pushing for a playoff berth and their last two games are against the Chiefs and the Browns, oh, man, if you're a Bengals fan, you're going to be sweating that one out for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, and Cleveland-Cincinnati is about as big of a rivalry as there is in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, those will be big games down the stretch. And then, you know, anytime you play the Chiefs at the end of the year, the only thing you say about the Chiefs is more than likely by that point of the season, a lot of their starters may be resting because they've already got the West locked up. So that could work in a team's favor late in the season. Yes, it very well could. And as we switch over to the AFC West, I want to get this in from David. Uh, can Mahomes take a hit the same way Baker can? Nope. One hard hit. KC season over. What do you What do you feel about that? Can Baker take a hit more so than Patrick Mahomes? Um, you know, he's had to because his offensive line, especially those first couple of years, weren't very good. Yeah, he got beat up. But Baker's not a big guy either. You know, Mahomes has got a bigger body, can take absorb more of that. Baker's a smaller guy. So you don't want Baker getting hit a whole lot. But uh yeah, you know, we've seen if Patrick gets hurt and gets slowed down, you know, we saw what happened last year with the foot issues and stuff. So, you know, both of them need to be protected. You know, if either one of them gets hit a whole lot, it's going to cause problems for their team. 100%. All right, quickly, uh the way the NFC North is going to play out. I know you got the Browns winning the division. How, how does it play out the rest of the way for you? I think I'm actually going to go Browns, Steelers, Ravens, Bengals. And I, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Yeah, and but I think it's going to be close. Like I said, I think, I think I've got the, I think I've got uh, the Browns winning 12, going 12 and five. It's like 12 and five, 11, six, 10 and seven, and then I'm looking at Cincinnati going nine and seven, eight and eight. Wow. Well, I mean, that's that's impressive considering uh, all the divisional matchups they got. But once again, looking at the schedule, they, they they have a bunch of winnable games as well. And Joe Burrow has has shown that he can find ways to win games and when people don't expect him to as well. So that that might be that might be the best division in football for sure. I really think it is. I know a lot of people have talked about the NFC West but and the AFC West for that matter. But I really think it's going to be the most competitive division. I agree. I think it, it really is. All right, let's jump over to the AFC West. Uh, you've got Kansas City. You've got uh, Denver. You've got the Vegas Raiders. And I, and you got what I think is probably one of the most underlooked teams in the L.A. Chargers in that division. Uh, let's start with the Chiefs because they are the presumptive favorite when it comes to not just the division, but potentially the AFC and maybe even Super Bowl contenders. They basically kept the same team. They retooled just a little bit. Um Patrick Mahomes is healthy. They have a running game. They've got a, a wide receiver game. The defense, though, is still, you know, they've improved. But for me, the defense is still somewhat of a question mark. I mean, what do you, what do you think about the Chiefs this year? Uh, I've got a lot of questions about the Chiefs. Uh, you know, and the first one is that defense, and especially with Frank Clark, with the weapons, charges, and everything he's facing. He's not going to be there. Uh, we heard today that Tyron Matthew tested positive for COVID, so he's out for a while. You know, will he be ready for the first week or the first couple of weeks? You know, we'll have to wait and see. That's a big loss on that defense because he's Mr. Do-Everything. You know, I mean, he really is. He can he can put pressure on the quarterback. He can intercept the ball. He covers well. He's just a great, great player. So that's going to be a big loss for them. 
And then you talk about their offensive line, and I don't know what to expect. I mean, yeah, they went out, and I mean, it's a totally new offensive line. You got Kyle Long to come out of retirement. You went and got a couple of, of pretty good players from different places and kind of remade it. But how well do those guys mold together and become a cohesive unit right away? How long does that take? And then Kansas City's depth is starting to become an issue, you know, because of money, because guys getting paid, you've had to cut and release some guys that were big contributors. Losing Sammy Watkins is going to hurt a little bit more than people think. I think because now McCole Hardman Hardman has to step up and be that number two wide receiver where the last couple of years he's been that number three of the slot guy, the kick return guy. So I think that could be an issue for them. Um, You know, what happens with Tyreek Hill? I mean, we know how fast he is. We know how quick he is. But teams saw what Tampa did to him and how Tampa pretty much took him away. And we know how this is a copycat league. It'll be interesting to see how defenses play against him. And then while he's a great tight end, and I'm not taking anything away from him, Travis Kelsey frustrates the hell out of me watching him week in, week out, because he drops so many easy balls. I mean, he he catches a ton, but it seems like every game there's two or three balls where his concentration just kind of goes away for a minute and the ball hits him right in the hands. That could be a big, a big play, big down play, and he drops it. And he, he's gotten better the last couple of years. I'll go back to the Alex Smith days and the beginning of Patrick Mahomes when they were trying to get in the playoffs. There were a bunch of key games for two or three years there where he had plays that he could have made, and he was frustrated already on the side. And, you know, it just carried over to the field, and you could see that his concentration wasn't there. So while he is a great tight end, he frustrates me a little bit. So I have some questions there. And then, like we said, their defense, I just – I'm not sure. I hope it can hold up, but I'm not – I'm not 100% sold on the Chiefs this year. I think they win the division still, but I, you know I've heard people talking about them going undefeated. I don't see them going 17-0. Yeah, I don't think it's as clear-cut as, as people make it seem to be when it comes to that. And I already know a way to draw eyes to this show is to basically headline this as, as questions around Travis Kelsey. I mean, that's that's what you got to do. You got to get that clickbait. We got we got to talk about the fact that we're questioning Travis Kelsey and then people are going to flood to the show. Oh yeah, I'll sh- I'll share the show to some chief sites later and we'll get torn apart, don't worry. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about that offensive line and I think and this is you know, football's a team game. But sometimes one guy can make a difference. And and you look at what uh, Dravani Tardif did last year, which was an amazing thing. You know, he's he's in the medical field. He took off the, the entire season. He stayed up in Canada, and, and he helped in, in the medical industry when it came to COVID. An amazing thing, a huge sacrifice. But I, I think that that offensive line really dropped off because he wasn't there. And I think you see him coming back into, into that lineup – that might solidify things a little bit for the Chiefs and allow guys to slot into the spots that they need to be in, and he can kind of calm things down. So, um, you know, like you said, there are still question marks around it, and you really have to see if they are going to be able to gel together. But having him back, I think, will be a boon for the Chiefs. And at least when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be very, very thankful that he's back. But once again, like we said, it's that Chiefs defense that you're just like, I think last year they kind of overachieved a little bit and, and that's what helped get them to the, to the Super Bowl was the overachieving defense. And you, you can't be blinded by that and not look at the numbers and say, yeah, they're still 
a lot of struggles when it comes to, I mean, you, you talk about with Tyron Matthew being out, you know, Daniel Sorensen is going to probably be your top safety at this point in time. And there are games where he was getting beat bad. He also made some really good plays, but you don't necessarily want him to be the the guy. You need the Tyron Matthew to be the, the, the anchor, the quarterback of that defense. And I don't know if Daniel Sorensen's a guy that can be that. No, I agree totally. And, you know, we talked about this defense, and we've talked about him a lot the last couple of years. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, this defense reminds me of the Rams defense under Mike Martz. When the offense was really great, and he decided that, oh, we can just outscore everybody. We don't need to worry about having defense or special teams. We'll just out, outscore everybody. And while I don't think that's Andy Reid's thought process, the def- there hasn't been as much emphasis on this defense as there was. I mean, if you remember the year that they went to the Super Bowl, we talked – the year they won the Super Bowl, I should say, two years ago. We talked all going into that playoffs about, man, I'm just not sure this defense is good enough. And then if you'll remember, right at the – trade deadline right as they got ready to go on that run they went and got Terrell Suggs and he made all the difference in the world and they don't have that guy and you lose a guy like Frank Clark you know who knows when Frank Clark or if Frank Clark's ever gonna be able to play again you know guys like Justin Houston aren't there anymore that were big pass rushers they're they're just missing some of that intensity some of those really big playmakers on the defensive line and at linebacker and uh hopefully they step up but I do have some serious questions about this defense well, and you could see them possibly making a deal this year to bring you in a, another defensive stalwart, especially if you get some clarity on the Frank Clark situation. If he, you know he's going to be gone for the season or his career, depending on on how that plays out. So don't be shocked if they do go out and make a deal at that point. Uh, you got the Denver Broncos in, in the uh, interesting position of starting Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke. Uh, is that an indictment on Drew Locke, or is that more so the Broncos not knowing what the hell they have at quarterback? I think it says they think their defense is really good, and they're going to play it safe with the offense. I mean, there's no lock, no, no doubt that Drew Locke has more raw talent than Teddy Bridgewater does at this point, a bigger arm. But Locke's also going to make mistakes. You know, how many times have we seen him overthrow a guy or, you know, throw into coverage and have it be an interception going back to his Mizzou days? You know, where Teddy Bridgewater is going to be that safe guy. He's going to check down. He's not going to force the ball downfield. He's going to be really conservative. And with the running back that they have in Melvin Gordon and with the defense that they have, you know, they can play close, low-scoring games and should be able to win some of those games. So I think it's more about, you know, they want to play it safe on offense. And, you know, I think whoever the quarterback is this year is kind of a placeholder because I think everybody in Denver – thinks and is expecting and their plan is that next year Aaron Rodgers is going to be wearing orange and navy. Uh okay. Um yeah, I, I the, the the trade rumors were were frequent this year when it came to that uh, the Aaron Rodgers thing. I think a lot of people thought a guy like John Elway was going to bring him in. And I think that really I mean I, I'm very confused as to what John Elway is really trying to do with the Denver Broncos because, you know, he, he brought in Peyton Manning and they had a run of success, but they also drafted Tim Tebow. They have done a lot of interesting things at the quarterback position. I think they made the right move in bringing in Drew Locke, but if you're not going to give him the playing time to develop as a quarterback, I, I just, it's, it's, I just don't know what they're thinking when it comes to the Broncos front office. And I, I think a lot of Broncos fans are a little, 
you know, miffed about that as well. You know, I think I think the thing with Drew Locke is they were taking him. They saw his pro day, they saw his arm, they saw his raw skills, and they thought, okay, this guy's got the arm to be an NFL quarterback. The thing that Drew Locke still has not done, and he hasn't done it since his freshman year at Mizzou, is he hasn't made mature decisions. He hasn't matured in his ability to read defenses. He will still throw the ball into triple coverage deep downfield. He'll still, you know, he just has not learned how to. He hasn't matured in the way he sees the field and the way he makes decisions on the field. And that's going to cost him. And it has cost him because he actually outplayed Teddy Bridgewater for the most part in the preseason. But I think, like I said, the Broncos feel like Teddy Bridgewater is not going to give games away. You know, he's not going to make that one or two mistakes that could cost you a close game, which, you know, in close games, every time Drew Locke throws the ball, you're going to hold your breath. Very, very true. Now they also have another Mizzou product in there, Demaria Crockett. So we'll see if uh, if they're going to be able to use him at all because he had, he had a pretty good career in at Mizzou, but they also have Melvin Gordon the third at running back. Uh, their wide receiver position, Jerry Judy, is uh, going to be a big piece to that uh, that receiver core along with Cortland Sutton. Uh, what do we think about that? I mean, Noah Fanta tight end, he's one of those underrated tight ends as well. Offensively, they've got a decent core of of talent, don't they? They do. You know, uh, Jerry Judy was kind of disappointing last year. He didn't live up to some of the hype. And don't forget, they've got another Mizzou player, too. Albert O is their second tight end. So there's lots of Mizzou ties in Denver, as much as that upsets Tiger fans that there's that many Columbia products in Denver. But, uh, yeah, um, they've got some weapons on offense. And then, you know, they've got that really good defense, too. You know, Bradley Chubb, led by Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. So – you know, if they if they don't turn the ball over, if they're able to play smart offense, their defense is going to keep them in games, and they could be another team. <laughs> There's another team. I've given 15 teams in the <laughs> AFC a shot at the playoffs, but it's the truth, and it's what we've talked about. The AFC is just loaded, loaded, loaded with talent. It really is, and I mean, I don't know what what's the number at now as far as playoff teams available. I mean, we're what are we talking now? Are we talking 10? Uh, I don't remember how many. It's, did they have two wild cards or just one? Uh, honestly, I cannot remember. Um, that, that's something I probably should have looked up beforehand. But you're, you're still, you're still gonna have a bunch of playoff teams for sure. Uh, and uh, you know, 15 teams vying for you know eight or nine spots. That's uh, that's gonna produce a lot of intense games and a lot of questionable decisions by coaches for sure. And and speaking of questionable decisions by coaches. Uh, you gotta be talking about the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders because I, I just, I don't think this second go around with John Gruden has been, uh, has been a success. Uh, and I think the, the main reason is to highlight it to highlight that is they traded away Khalil Mack when John Gruden came in. Well, guess what phone call they made in the off season to see if they could, uh, make a deal. They tried calling the bears to get Khalil Mack back. Um, the decisions that, that Gruden's made with this team has been interesting to say the least. Uh, I mean, they, they've got Derek Carr. They've got Mar- Mariota backing him up. Josh Jacobs is a, is a pretty good uh, running back, another one of those underrated running backs. you got Henry Ruggs. you got Willie Sneed. You've got Hunter Renfro at the wide receiver position. Darren Waller at tight end. They've got talent, but maybe it's injuries or, or maybe it is coaching decisions. But 
there's just something about the Raiders that they just haven't been able to put it all together yet. And yes, it's a tough division, but but what's up with the Raiders? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that John Gruden has done that you can question. You got to remember though, that was a really bad team when he took over. I mean, they did get quite a few picks out of the Khalil back trade. You know, they've been able to do some things to try to improve the depth of that team since they made that trade. And, you know, if they could have gotten him back, that would have been a heck of a move by Gruden to be able to pick up the three or four draft picks they got for Mac and then get him back and hopefully not have to give up nearly as much in return because he's a couple years older. Um, You know, it's going to be – Raiders are another team that are going to be really interesting. I don't think – I don't think that they're a team that's going to be – I think they're going to be on the fringe of the wild card hunt. I think they're a team that's probably more a seven and ten, eight and eight type team, um, eight and nine type team. Seventeen games. I keep forgetting how to add um, because you know there still are some big holes there. You know they do have some talent on the offense. I lost. I like Josh Jacobs a lot. Henry Ruggs has got to be healthy. He was hurt last year. Um, really didn't have much of an impact on them last year. I mean, he's definitely that speed deep threat wide receiver that if he's healthy, you know, could be huge for Derek Carr. Um, I like Hunter Renfro. I like Darren Waller. Their defense, though, has there's just so many questions back there. You look at who their starting defense is, and most of the guys you're like, who, what? Um, you know, they they're another team that a lot of their talents in their secondary. Casey Hayward's good. Jonathan Abrams good, but the front seven are a bunch of guys that you haven't heard a whole lot about. Yeah, I mean the, the only guy that you you have heard about is Carl Carl Nassib, and you know not not necessarily football related. Still a, a great story, but not necessarily football related. And and that that's the thing that's going to be surrounding the Raiders this year. I mean, is is it going to be? that story or is it going to be about them playing on the field and you really hope that the media doesn't distract this team with, with that I ho- you just hope that they go out and they're just able to play football and that that's all it is it, it's a football season and you, know, you talk about in Goku he's he's a guy that uh, could make a difference Gerald McCoy still has some talent left in him uh, even though he's you know 33 in, in in year 12 so they do have some talent there but yeah it's still a lot of young players and and you just got to see if they're able to gel together and really produce defensively all right you got to talk about the team that like i said multiple times it's probably one of the more underrated teams in the afc and it's another team that like you said this this might be team 16 that has a chance of getting into the playoffs but the la chargers they've got a, a stud quarterback with justin herbert he, he's going to be a star for sure in my my mind. You've got Austin Eckler. You've got Larry Roundtree, another Mizzou product, who's going to hopefully do some stuff there. Keenan Allen, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be the guy a guy that can really make a difference. Uh, outside of that, you got. I know this is going to sound crazy, especially considering he was a Ram and wasn't all that great with the Rams. Jared Cook could make a big difference for the Chargers this year as well. And, and then you look at their defense. Their defense is still pretty solid as well. A lot of guys outside of Joey Bosa who needs to stay healthy. Hmm. There might be a theme there. Uh, another set of players that you're kind of like, Hmm, who are these guys really? But actually do have some talent. You know, Asante Samuel Jr. is there as well. Am I crazy in thinking that the Chargers could be a, a dark horse division winner in, in this case? Um, I think they're definitely going to be in the hunt for the division. I don't. I don't think they overtake Kansas City. I think it's still the Chiefs' division. 
But I really like the Chargers. I think they're going to be the most popular team in L.A. Sorry, Stan Kroenke fans, but it, it's true. It's going to happen. Um, you know, we know – you know how much – if you've watched this show, you know how much I like Justin Herbert. I talked about him a ton. That last year he was in Oregon and said, watch out for this kid. He's going to be a monster at some point. Um, Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, two of the more explosive guys in all of the NFL. And then, like you said, their defense – Joey Bosa is really good. He's going to stay healthy, like you mentioned. And then you've got guys like Linval Joseph and Derwin James and Sonny Samuel Jr. They've got some talent on that defense. They're going to score a lot of points. If their defense can hold up, you know, they're another team that I think can be a 10 or 11 win team. All right. So, how do you see the West playing out? Uh, I'm going to go Kansas City. I almost said San Diego. Kansas City, Los Angeles. Denver Raiders, although I don't think Denver is going to be very good. I think I think the fact that Teddy Bridgewater is their quarterback, they're just not going to score a lot of points, I don't think. So I think Denver is probably a seven or eight win team, honestly, even with the defense they have and that division being so tough. And then I think the Raiders probably, again, win five or six games. Does that, in your mind, maybe make this the end of Derek Carr's career in, in Vegas? I mean, is he going to go somewhere? Or are they Are they going to bank on the fact that you're going to have uh... – uh, Devontae Adams potentially coming in. We talk about, you know, Aaron Rodgers going to Denver potentially next year. Do you see a Devontae Adams reunion with uh, Derek Carr in Vegas and maybe they're just biding their time until next year? We definitely know that Devontae Adams has talked about it, you know, that he would like to play with Derek Carr. They were college teammates. You know, I think Derek Carr gets a bad rap. A lot of people say, oh, he wasn't that good. People forget that, you know, he was probably going to win the MVP about four years ago and then he broke his leg you know, right before the playoffs. And unfortunately the Raiders went from a team that were Super Bowl favorites at that point to being a team that got knocked out in the first round. But, you know, he's also gone through two or three years where he didn't have a whole lot of weapons around him. You know, after you moved on from, after you moved on from Ari Cooper and Michael Crabtree, then the, the cupboard was kind of bare. They've refilled it a little bit with rugs and some of these guys. So I think Carr has a good year. I think they keep him in, in, I almost said Oakland. Wow. Um, I think they keep him in – then I almost said Los Angeles. Uh, they, I think they keep him in Vegas, wherever the hell the Raiders play. And, uh, you know, I think he'll stay there for a while because it seems like John Gruden actually really does like Derek Carr. That's, that's good to hear because, yeah, I'd like to see some, some success for him. I've got the Chiefs winning the division. i got the Chargers after that. I do have the Raiders ahead of the Broncos, but I think it's, it's razor thin between the two of them. I think they're going to be battling out for that last spot in the West as well. Uh, so that's uh, where we sit with the AFC. We previewed the, uh, the South and the East yesterday, North and the West today. Next week on Monday, we'll break down the, uh, the NFC East and South, and then Wednesday we'll bring you the West and the North as well. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, a couple of small notes uh, off topic a little bit there. Rodney uh, basically pitches in, uh, not related at all, but what would you think about the Cardinals getting Trey Turner next year? Uh, I would love that. I'm not sure that the Dodgers are going to let Trey Turner go because I think he's got one more year of control, I do believe, before he's a free agent. So I think Trey Turner probably stays – in L.A., well, I can't think of where people are playing right now. I almost <laughs> said I had to think about where the, uh, he was at. But, yeah, I think the Dodgers probably keep him. I think Corey Seager is the guy that walks. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk from a lot of national people the last couple of days about Corey Seager being a really good fit in St. Louis. Um, so Trey Turner would be good because he would be the perfect leadoff guy. 
although Seager would fill that number two hole pretty well. So I think either one of those guys, whichever one isn't in L.A., would be a pretty good fit here. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think I'm warming up a little bit to the idea of a Corey Seager. I wasn't entirely on board with that, but if he is available, you need an upgrade uh, for sure. Uh, I've been a, a staunch Paul DeYoung supporter. I think yeah, I, I maybe have ridden that train a little too long. I know you are a big supporter of Paul DeYoung as well, giving him a chance and an opportunity, but it does feel like a, a change of scenery for him may be needed, and, and you wish him nothing but the, the best of success if he does go somewhere else. And, and Sosa, Edmundo Sosa, is definitely a bench player that you want to have. He's a guy that can be a defensive replacement. He does have a little bit of pop, and he has shown that he can hit the ball as well. Uh, but I don't know if he's an everyday starter. Uh, it feels like the same thing when it comes to like Tommy Edmond, you know, a guy that could play at maybe a couple of positions because he can play. I believe he could play third base as well. So you, you've got a guy that can play a couple of spots, come off the bench, and provide some speed, some pop, and some defense. Uh, if you bring in a guy like a Seager, or, or, or if you're lucky enough to be able to pull a Trey Turner away, um, I think that's definitely something that the Cardinals are, are going to be lucky to have if that happens. Uh, college football notes. Uh, we've got a, we got a pretty good game going on in Minnesota right now between uh, number seven, uh, number four, Ohio state and uh, Minnesota. Minnesota was up 14, 10 at the half. They made a last minute uh, or a last six minute run in the, uh, in the first half to go up 14 to 10. Uh, they just kicked a field goal. The golden Gophers did to make it 31, 24 Ohio state. Uh, so this game is going to go down to the wire. C.J. Stroud in his first start for Ohio State, 11 of 19, 163 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. And uh, you look over at Muhammad Ibrahim uh, over at Minnesota. He's got a couple of touchdowns today, 162 yards on 30 carries. You, you, you look at the the changing landscape as far as uh, conference-wise with, with college, especially at the football division, uh, and, and it, it seems like you can overlook – how good the Big Ten actually is because you've got Penn State in in, in the top 25. you got Wisconsin there. You've got Ohio State. And yet you sit here and you still got a team like Minnesota that's playing very, very well and is potentially a, an underrated team when it comes to, to the football landscape. Um, th- this could be a really fun year when it comes to college football in the Big Ten. It really could. You know, and you have other teams that people don't think about, but you've got the Wisconsin's and the Iowa's and those guys have been good the last few years too. So I think the Big Ten football season is going to be really interesting. And, you know, maybe Illinois is a little better this year and jumps in the mix as well. Uh, they did win their first game against Nebraska. Uh, we talked about that earlier uh, this week. Illinois could be really good. Mizzou has uh, a positive outlook on things right now as well. And you know what? We're going we're gonna to have to do something about that. We're going to have to talk a little bit more college football. So we're going to do that on Saturday, 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, as we get prepared for, for 11 a.m. kickoffs around college football, we're going to come to you at 10 o'clock here on Toasted Tavern and preview the college football season because it's amazing. It's college football. How can you not have fun? Maybe maybe we do some virtual tailgating. You know, Maybe we got the grill going and uh, maybe we're outside or something like that. That, that might be a, an interesting twist on, uh, on that. I just thought of that, actually. So make sure you come back at 10 o'clock in the morning on Saturday to get your college football preview here on Toasted Tavern. Uh, and Scott, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what you've got going on with the Real Men Wear Pink campaign. Uh, yep. I am an ambassador. If you have not heard, if you're just started to watch the show in the last couple of days, I don't know what you've been waiting for, but, um, yeah, I am going to be an ambassador for the real men wear pink campaign 
going up through the end of October. Um, we're going to be doing a bunch of fun stuff, doing some videos. I'll be wearing a lot of pink in the month of October for sure. May even have some pink facial hair. We'll see how all that plays out. But uh, we're going to have some events. We'll be putting links up to those events here in the next few days as the things that are coming up where you can go places to donate. And you can also go to my page, my personal donation page, and donate money, help us fight breast cancer. Um, there's a link on our show page that you can go to. There's a link on my personal page, all our social media, Justin St. Louis's page. So, yeah, just uh, please, if you can help us, any amount will help a lot. You know, do whatever you can. Help us fight the uh, nasty disease that is cancer and especially breast cancer. Yes, 100% agree. We love doing this. We've done stuff the, the last couple of years with uh, organizations trying to raise money. So this is another great cause, and we cannot wait to continue to raise money and do some really cool things for this campaign as well. Uh, tomorrow night, we will be off because it is high school football season as well. And both Scott and I have games. We're going to ha- actually have the links to our games uh, on our Facebook page tomorrow. So you can listen in to whichever game you want to go to. Uh, I will be out at Fox covering the Fox and Rittner game. And Scott, who do you got tomorrow night? I will actually be out in Washington tomorrow covering St. Francis Borgia and a very good Union Wildcats team. So, uh, Lots of good football in the areas. It really gets underway. So go check out both of those games and uh, support me and Wags and our other ventures besides just showing our ugly mugs on here a few times a week. Yeah, yeah. You can just listen to our voices instead right. of staring at us. So yep. yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, if you get a chance to get down to uh, Lindenwood on Sunday for the men's soccer game, you'll hear a familiar voice there as well. I'll be doing the PA for the Lindenwood Lions men's soccer game so make sure you come out and check out that support local sports uh women's volleyball i'll be the voice uh, the play-by-play voice of the lindawood lions volleyball team this year as well so lots of chances to hear our voices and uh scott do you have anything else going on besides high school football this year uh not not for right now uh we get into winter i'm going to be doing some i'll be doing some basketball again uh boys and girls and then Maybe doing some hockey, uh, some things in the work that I may be doing some hockey play-by-play as we get into uh, the winter sports season. So stay tuned for that exciting news. That's going to be fun. I, hockey is uh, <laughs> hockey is a fun sport to call. So you'll you, you get a chance to do that. You're going to have a blast doing that. Just make sure you wear a couple of layers because it does get cold there. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a, a blast over an hour, even when we thought we were only going to go a couple of short minutes because uh, we, we weren't sure we we're going to have a whole lot to talk about tonight. But you can talk about football and, and you can go for days for sure. Yeah, especially when you're breaking everybody down. There's a lot to look at and dissect. So another fun show, Wax. It certainly was. It certainly was. Once again, don't forget to join us 10 a.m. on Saturday for our college football preview, and then we'll be back with you for our nightly show on Monday here on the Toasted Tavern. For Scott Tobin, I am Wags. Enjoy the rest of your night, and, and have a great Labor Day weekend as well. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.